You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. So thank you for coming. We are at the end of our summer letter series. Can you believe it? You know what that means? That means that school starts this week. How many of you are excited for school starting? You're like, yeah! <laughs> How many parents are excited for school to start? Yeah. I don't know. I still get a little nervous and a little uneasy when I walk through a store and I see all the school supplies out. And I, have, I, I don't go to school. I live school. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's still a little, little unnerving. But uh, so thankful for, for our opportunities that we have. Today, as we wrap up this series, we're looking at the book of Philemon. Everyone say Philemon. Or for the Canadians out there, Philemon, okay? And I'll invite you to take your Bibles, open them up to the book of Philemon. As we dive into this last part of our series on this summer letter series, Philemon is a book that was written by the Apostle Paul, and it's part of his, his prison letters that he wrote from prison. You know, he's in jail. He's like, hey, I have some great time. I'm going to write some letters, some ways to invest, some ways to encourage. So this is part of what's often referred to as the prison epistles. And in here, he's writing to one of his disciples in the city of Colossus, who is Philemon. Philemon was a, uh, a, a wealthy man in that city that found Paul and as a result found Christ through it. And now he was being used in that area and even opening up his own home to be a house church. Isn't that incredible? But he's also writing this on behalf of Onesimus. And Onesimus was a runaway bondservant, a slave of Philemon's. He had wronged him and now run away and he had found... Paul in the city of Rome who was imprisoned. And as you know, when you interact with Paul, you immediately come face to face with the living God. And so Onesimus gives his life to Christ. And now Paul is moving in this countercultural way to reconcile something that went against everything of that day, to reconcile a master and his bondservant. This is tough stuff, isn't it? This is not just a little squabble going on. But I believe as we look at this today, There's something that the Lord would say to us through this. Something that was relevant back then, but is relevant today as well as we dig into this. So let's look at this as we look at the book of Philemon, or Philemon for my Canadian listeners. He starts off by saying, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, your house church. Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Paul goes on to say, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all of the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, 
but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Listen to this. Paul says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. So refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given, be given to you. Isn't that amazing? So much here. See, Paul, in this short letter, he's leading these men through a difficult situation. He's leading them through a relationship issue. And after all, some of our most difficult challenges that we have are relationships, aren't they? How many all of your relationships, man, they're just humming, there's nothing wrong, and it's just perfect. If you're doing that, please come consult me, okay? But Paul is showing us through the section, and there's three key things that I believe Paul would point out to us through the section today. That first of all, he's, he's reminding Philemon of his identity. See, we need to know our identity But then our identity, it brings us to the second thing, which is our responsibility. Because when we are alive in Christ, there's a responsibility that comes with it. And then he ends this chapter by showing the results when he says, and I know there will be even more. So three things we're talking about. We're going to be talking about our identity today. We're going to be talking about the responsibility that comes out of that. And then we're going to look at the results. The results of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Can we dedicate this time to the Lord again? Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. Your word does not back away from tough content, tough situations, but it dives fully in. So Lord, open our ears today. Open our hearts that we might receive from you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in you, my God, my rock, my redeemer. And everyone said together, Amen, amen. Let's, let's, let's dive in here today. So, so Paul starts off by reminding Philemon of his identity, his identity. And who's, who is his identity in? Is in Christ, is in Jesus. Because he, he says in there, who is in Christ? And he's reminding him, he's saying that Philemon, you love Jesus. You love others. You share your faith. He even says that you give joy and you give comfort to others. And that Philemon, you even refresh others. Who wouldn't want a friend like that? He loves God. He loves others. He refreshes others, even opening up his own home to create this house church there. See, when we're facing a challenging situation or when we're going through a tough time, what do we need to be reminded of? We need to be reminded of who we are in God, don't we? 
The times that I've misstepped, the times that I've gotten off have been when I've gotten into a tough situation. And instead of being reminded or taking a moment to say, okay, who am I in you, God? Where I've just instead rushed in. And what happens? Inevitably, I start trampling things. I start taking these missteps and saying, God, who would you have me be? See, this is who we are in Christ. And here in this situation, this is a situation that Philemon is in because in, in verse 18, it says that he has been wronged. He says, if you've been wronged by Onesimus, and this is not just an hypothetical, like maybe he's wronged you, but when we look at the Greek text for this, it, it, it better reads like this way. It better reads, since he has wronged you. So Paul is not saying maybe he's wronged you. He's saying there's been offense since he has wronged you. And he begins by going back and saying, you know what, since he has wronged you, you need to look to who you are in Christ. And so in verse 6, he says, for the sake of Christ. See, we're surrounded here by water. And we know that when there's a storm that's raging, what do the ship captains do? Is that when they ignore their map and they ignore all their nautical tools? No, when the storm going on, they pull at the map and they go, I want to make sure I know where I am. I want to make sure I know this vessel. They get all the nautical tools out because when you're in a storm, there's more at risk. When you're in a storm, you can't see the rocks. Your vision is impaired. When you're going down, when you're going through a tough situation, our vision sometimes is impaired. Yes? Right? Because the storm makes it difficult to see. We're tossed about. Sometimes we are hurt in the storm. We need to be looking at Christ and saying, who am I in Christ? Because who's our navigator? Our navigator is Jesus. Jesus is the one who leads us. Jesus is the one who guides us and brings us through. After all, as Christ followers, we're known as someone who follows Christ, someone who is like Christ. That's where the word Christian came from. It came from people who knew who Jesus was like, and they looked over and said, she's like Jesus. She's a Christian. We follow Jesus through these times. We come to these paths and we say, Lord, is this a path that I should go down? Are you calling me to listen here a little more? Or are you calling me to speak into it more? We need to be reminded who we are. And we also need to remember that God's view is never impaired by storms. Thank God. God's view is never impaired by storms. Our view, my view is the problem, but God's is perfect. So I need to look to God and say, God, what's going on here? What's happening here? See, Paul is underlining this vital part of our faith. And one of the vital parts of our faith is the surrender of our lives to Christ. We become a living sacrifice. Becoming Christ followers mean that we surrender. And that's very tough in our culture. It was was tough in that day. We like autonomy. We like independence. It's my way. I know what's right. But Paul is saying, no, it's surrendering of our rights. After all, if anyone knows what surrender is like, it's like Paul. Can you imagine being in prison and going, awesome, I can write some really good letters to all those people that I'm discipling. Man, I'd be looking for ways to get out. I'd be looking at, God, why have you placed me here? But see, we take on that identity of Christ, but it requires that we surrender. That's why Paul wrote in Galatians, he said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but who? Christ who lives in me. And this may seem elementary for some of us, but we need to be reminded of it, that when we're walking through situations that God has not left us, 
The presence of pain is not the absence of God. When you're feeling down, it doesn't mean that God is, is not there. It means that he's leaning in all the more and saying, I'm, I want to help you through this. I want to walk you through this. The devil may want it for bad and just to destroy you, but I'm going to work this out for your good. If you'll follow me, if you'll trust me. But unfortunately, if you're like me, if, sometimes we hit these situations and we'll say things like, but God, it's not fair. How many have ever said that? Okay. If you're new here, I often confess during my sermons. This is my confessional booth of sorts, okay? <laughs> have you ever been guilty of saying it's not fair or maybe easier? Have you ever heard somebody say, it's not fair? It's not fair. The best response I ever heard to that that I will never forget came from uh, a friend of ours who's a children's pastor and who also taught junior high. <laughs> And one time she, had a, she had, a, had a student say, but teacher, that's not fair. And she looked at him and said, fair? Do you see cotton candy around here? Do you see Ferris wheels around here? Do you see clowns running around? What made you think that this was a fair? This is not a fair. This is my classroom. It's not fair in my classroom. <laughs> and that's the way it is, isn't it? See, fair is hard to navigate. Because what may be fair to me may not be fair to my teacher who's teaching me. What may be fair to me is, yeah, go ahead and bring in the clowns, bring in the cotton candy, then we'll get some teaching going on in this place. See, fair is hard to know. Fair is hard to understand because it's often biased. My level of fairness is biased by my view and my experiences and what I like and what I don't like. So fair is flawed. You want a fair, go to P.L. Upper Monroe. They have great fairs. But see, we are not recipients of fairness. We are recipients of grace. Isn't that awesome? We are recipients of grace. And you know what grace is? It's favor that you can't earn or buy. It's a gift of God. And this is what Paul writes. He says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that you can't boast about it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that now you can walk in them. So we're recipients of not fair. If we are living by fair, I can't stand here today. I don't deserve to be here today. There's nothing I could do that would place me here. So I don't want God to be fair with me. (laughs) I want God's grace. How many of you want the grace of God, not the fairness of God? Okay? It's God's grace, his love poured into us. That's who we are. And this comes back to our identity. Our identity is wrapped in the grace and the love and the mercy of God pulling into us. And Paul starts there. He says, let me remind you of your identity, Philemon. This is who you are in God, in Christ. But then he goes on to a second part. Now, now that you know who you are, now that I've reminded you of your identity, your identity brings you to a responsibility. And what's our responsibility? It's redemption. It's redemption. It even says, I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. See, identifying with Christ makes us behave like Christ, act like Christ, and it puts us into action because faith will move us. Faith will compel us. When we pray, we're not just praying to the wind and saying it's good and done. When we pray, God speaks to us and God changes us. Do you know what happens when when Pastor Duane prays? God speaks to me. God reveals things to me. God pulls out and says, okay, Duane, 
here's some things I want that we're, we're going to start working on in your life. And sometimes I say, God, that's not fair. <laughs> but it's for my good. Who knows what's better for me, me or God? God knows what's better. This is how we walk. And this faith, it moves us to take steps to redemption because this is the plan of God. And here, Paul brings in a character that is so important for us. It's Onesimus. Onesimus, as we talked about earlier, this is a runaway bondservant. Bondservant is another word for slave. And when we think of slavery, we think of slave traders and the atrocities that have happened all throughout humanity and still happen today. But as we step into this today, I think it's important for us to recognize what slavery looked back in that context. When you look at Scripture, it's important to understand what's happening at this time. When Paul wrote this, when Jesus was walking, when these words were coming out, what is the context or what was happening during this time? And during the time, this first century, slavery tended to take on three different categories. Three different categories. And one of them was the atrocity of slave trading where people were dehumanized. They were treated like cargo. They were treated like property. But slavery in that day, there were some that became bond servants as a form of debt repayment. They had a huge debt that they owed. And so they would become a bond servant to somebody to pay back what they owed. There were also people in that time who became bond servants, who became slaves as a way of employment. It was a vocational out for them. And even in the Roman Empire and everything that was going on, they estimate that about 85 to 90 percent were slaves. And it represented a wide swath of some were working the mines, some were treated horribly, some were treated as commodities, dehumanized. But there were some who owned property, there were some who ran businesses. So it had a wide swath. So as we look here at this picture, before we move on and talk about Onesimus, this gives me a great opportunity to talk about how did Jesus and Paul feel about slavery? This is something as I've talked with people who don't know God or people who have problems with the idea of God, a question that, that will come up at some point is often, well, isn't slavery in the Bible? Didn't Jesus, didn't they endorse slavery? Did, didn't they think it was there? But see, we need to recognize that Jesus, he opposed every form of oppression. Jesus even described his mission when they asked him by quoting back in Isaiah 61, when he said, I've come to proclaim release to the captives and to set free those who are oppressed. This is the way of God. See, we need to remember that as it relates to humans, that we are all equal in Christ. We are all his workmanship. We are all his masterpiece. And you've heard me say it before, and I'll say it again. But you want to see a real masterpiece, look at the person next to you. And this is your opportunity right now to bless somebody and say, you are a masterpiece. Just don't creep them out, okay? <laughs> this is who we are in Christ, all of us. All of us. And see, that's why Jesus, he opposed every form of oppression. He's come to set them free. And even here, as it relates to Paul, Paul condemned slavery. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, slave traders were included in a list of those that Paul identified as being lawless, as being disobedient, and being ungodly. Slave trading is ungodly, and Paul was firm on that. Jesus was firm on that. 
See, Paul, he affirmed the full dignity and equal spiritual status of everybody, including slaves. And in 1 Corinthians, he even encouraged slaves to acquire their freedom whenever possible because Paul's identity was in Jesus Christ who says there's no longer free or slave. We are all one. This is the Bible. This is the gospel. This is who we are in Christ. And one theologian even said it this way. He said that Paul's revolutionary Christian affirmations helped to tear apart the fabric of the institution of slavery in Europe. You want to talk about the power of the gospel? Even Martin Luther King, when he was coming against even pastors in the South that were trying to justify what slavery meant, he didn't tell them to abandon their Christian faith. He said, you don't understand your Christian faith. He encouraged them to dig deeper into it. And by digging deeper into it, they realized who Jesus was, who God was, and slavery began to be, become abolished. It's not perfect yet, but the gospel will set us free. This is who God is. We are all one. I'm a little passionate about it. <laughs> we are all one. And just as a side note, I could stay all day here on this. But a wonderful resource that, that I've used, it's Paul Copeland's book, it's It's entitled, Is God a Moral Monster? Powerful book, dives deeper into it, dives deep into the Old Testament, into the New Testament, as well as as others. So if you have questions here today about the Bible and who is God, and I hear these things, is God a moral monster? Wonderful resource about it. If you get it and read it and you want to talk about it, I would love to go for coffee with you. There's my coffee invitation, okay? And talk about wonderful book. But as we frame it in that, Jesus and Paul, they opposed slave trading. Let's look at Onesimus' situation here. And when we look at his situation, this was a bond servant who owed money. And he ran away from Rome as a way of hiding. But in the process, he meets the apostle Paul. Now, is that God or what? Where God looks down and says, I'm going to change your life, Onesimus. He meets Paul, who's imprisoned, and as a result, finds Christ, and Onesimus becomes Paul's spiritual son. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) That is so powerful to me. He becomes his spiritual son, and then Paul begins to disciple him. And as he grows in Christ, what's Paul's response? Reconciliation. This is the tough one. It's reconciliation. See, we need to understand that our love for God is tested in how we treat others. That's where Jesus confronted those of of his day. He's like, talk about all day how much you love God. Great. How do you love the person next to you? Because if you can't love the person next to you, you can't love God. And that can be tough, isn't it? Right? Because when we're sitting next to people who agree with us, our loved ones in our family, sometimes that can be pretty easy. You can say, God, done. But then someone hurts you. Someone betrays you. Someone's tough. And you go, God, I gotta, do I have to be next to this person? Maybe I can move, move away from them and fulfill your commandment. And God's saying, no, you can't. And as a matter of fact, no, I've, this, and I've seen this play out, you try to run away from that, God will keep bringing people like that to your door. Because it's not always about them, it's about you. Who do you love? Do you love everybody? This is my child. This is my child. And Paul's re- response is clear because, again, Paul has surrendered his life to Christ. And Jesus said this in Matthew. He said, if you're offering your gift at an altar, 
and there you remember that your brother has something against you, Jesus said to leave your gift there before the altar and go and first be reconciled with your brother. So he's saying, you're at the altar praying, you're bringing your gift to the altar, you're doing that. I'm going to start speaking to you. If you have ought against your brother, get up. Stop praying, go fix it. Let me show you how to fix it. Well, God, I got, I got a great offering. This has been a good week. He's saying, look, go fix it. Get up from the altar and go fix it. This is what we studied in 1 John 4 that I referenced to earlier, where it says, if anyone says, I love God, but hates their brother, they're a liar. That's a big word. They're a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God for whom he hasn't seen. This is why Paul's request, it moves to forgiveness and acceptance as a brother for Philemon. See, he wasn't just sending back Onesimus to Philemon to go, hey, I found your bondservant, buddy, I'm with you. He said, no, I'm returning him to you, not as a bondservant, not as a slave, but as your brother, as your partner in Christ, because this needs to be reconciled. This needs to be reconciled. And he even says in that, Paul says that if he has wronged you, meaning that he, I know he's wronged you. We talked about that earlier. He's saying, look, anything he owes you, charge my account. And he even goes further because a lot of times Paul would just dictate things to people to to write out for them. But he's saying, look, right here, I'm writing in my own hand. If he owes you anything, I will pay it. How often have we stepped up or failed to step up in those ways? I want this relationship to work out so well. If they've wronged you, charge it to my account. I don't care. Whatever it is, charge it to me. I'm going to walk forward in this. See, he's saying, this is your brother in Christ that you need to receive. And his request is that he free Onesimus and that he elevate him to the status of a brother, not just spiritually, But he's saying you need to elevate him to this status also civilly in the flesh as a brother and even how you operate, how you do your business. This is a brother now. And there's something that I think is important for us to see here. For Paul to make this request to Philemon, do you know what it reveals? It reveals how much he trusts Philemon. Remember what he said earlier? He said, I could could tell you to do this. I could lord over my authority over you and say, look, Philemon, you need to do this, but I'm, I'm going to appeal to you as a brother because I know you're going to do what's right because I want this relationship not to be coerced, but I want it to be because you've looked at it and said, this is the right thing to do as a Christ follower to make this right. Imagine having that level of trust with people. Man, I, I trust you. I, I could demand this and Quote all kinds of scriptures, but I know that you understand. I know that you see. I know that I can trust you. See, recognizing our identity, it brings us to redemption. It brings us to redemption. See, Philemon, he knew. He knew, you know what? Yeah, we're all made in the image of God. He knew there's no longer Greek, no longer Jew. There's no slave or free, male or female, but we're all one in Christ because Jesus is the great equalizer. Praise God. Praise God. 
He pours grace. He pours mercy. He made us. He brings us back to our original design. All the things that the world has done to push you down, to crush you, and to destroy you. Jesus is saying, rise up. I'm here to set the captives free. We are one in him. But Paul goes on to even say something that's beyond that. See, Paul moves to the result, and he says, what is our result? Our result is more. Our result is more. He said, you will do even more than I ask. How many like more of a good thing? Uh, I do. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, it's getting close to lunch, okay? Uh, More of a good thing. Our result will be more. You'll do even more. He's saying this to Philemon, recognizing how tough it is. But see, what Paul is identifying, he's saying that the power of the gospel is not just limited to the individual. When we walk in Christ, and when we walk in the power of the gospel is, the gospel, it will expand beyond us as we possess it. Did you hear that? As we possess the gospel, the gospel expands beyond us and does more because we are talking about the power of God, Christ alive in us. As we have surrendered, as we've become followers of Christ, his disciple, the gospel explodes in us and it expands. He says, it will do even more. That's why Jesus said these words that must have confused the disciples when he looked at them in John 14. He said, you'll do even greater things than I did. Think about all the things Jesus did. He did some cool things like walking on the water. He healed the sick. He fed 5,000 people. Imagine going downtown, going to the tent cities, and going, God's going to show up today and feed all of you. And you just start breaking bread. He said, you'll do even greater things. You'll do even greater things than these. This is the gospel. And as a result, part of that more as the gospel, Onesimus was changed. Onesimus went from fugitive to brother. And even Paul said, I don't even want you you to receive him as a brother, but as a fellow partner. He said, receive him, Onesimus, as you would receive me, Paul, the one who showed you Christ. Imagine the change that happened, not just in Onesimus' life, but in Philemon's life through this. This is part of the more. And as you study into the life of who Onesimus was, we discover that Onesimus became a leader at the church of Ephesus. Think about that. This bondservant, this runaway slave, restored, not just as a brother, as a partner in name, but he went on to be a leader of the church of Ephesus. And Onesimus, he's even credited as the one who collected all the Pauline letters that were eventually integrated into the New Testament canon, including this letter. Wow, is that, is that powerful? Did you hear everything I said about the relationship and the problems they had and the runaway and I did it wrong and I took some money and I did all this stuff and I'm in Rome for slavery and Rome in a city that if you're a runaway slave, they could legally kill you by law in Rome. And now, he's a, he's a leader of the church of Ephesus. He pulls together. He's, he's part of pulling together through the power of God, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit leading him to pull together all of these letters. This is who Onesimus is. And even as we look at this story, and as I even referenced earlier, this has become a powerful influence even in slavery, the effects on slavery. One theologian said it this way. They said that the elements of Paul's appeal found in this letter, it helped lay the foundation of the abolition of slavery. 
Another theologian said it this way. He said the Christian faith was particularly even attractive to slaves in the lower class because it was countercultural, it was revolutionary, and it was the anti-status quo. The gospel is attractive because all are equal. The gospel restores us to who we are in Christ. So even as the gospel began to expand, it began to attract people who were marginalized, those who were hurt, those who were pushed to the side and said, you're less than. The gospel says, no, you're not. And Paul even said, receive him as you would me. We're equal. We are equal. That's powerful to me. But this moves into the model. And I wrap it up with this this morning. See, Paul is giving us in here a model of how followers are to respond to these situations. What did Paul do? Paul intervened and he mediates a difficult situation, even willing to pay for anything that Onesimus took. He could have gone down the whole lines of whether that was his to take or not or all those things, but he said, look, I'll take care of it, it's gone. Are you guys going to be together as partners? Are you going to come together in this? So Paul mediates it, but another key thing that I believe Paul is lining out to us is that Onesimus had to trust in order to return to Philemon. He was there with Paul. He was with a man of God that he trusted. And Paul's saying, you know what? I need to send you back. The fact that Onesimus went back showed how much he trusted Paul and ultimately trusted Philemon in this. But there's another side too. Philemon had to trust in order to accept Onesimus in this. What's one of the biggest things that we struggle with? Trust. Who has trust issues? You walk very long, you're going to have trust issues. And here Paul is saying, you know what? We're going to make it right. Not just make it right on paper. And you're not just going to be around each other. But we're going to make this right. This is going to be something that God is going to use for his glory. See, the question that we need to ask ourselves is, are we willing to risk it all for the glory of God? Are we willing to risk it all This isn't a blind faith. This is a known faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. What was Onesimus hoping for? He was hoping for freedom. He was hoping for his debt to be gone. But he got so much more than he ever bargained for. It was faith alive. And I think as we walk it out, as we come now entering to this new season, school is starting we need to look and say, God, what, what would you say to me? What areas are you calling me to move into? Where are you calling me to risk it all? Amen? Can we all stand together as we respond to the Lord t- today? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospel that has changed my life. It's changed our lives. Father, I thank you for the grace that you've poured into my life. 
I don't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. And Lord, I thank you that you've called us out to no longer be a slave to fear, but to recognize that we're a child of God. Amen? No longer a slave to fear, but a child of God. As we take some time here to process today, it's important not just to be hearers of the word, but we need to be doers of the word because it calls us into action. I think God's trying to remind us of our identity in him. And as it relates to your identity in Christ, what is God speaking to you right now? What is God trying to remind you of, of your identity? Maybe for you it's at the level, I just feel so devalued, I just feel so unworthy, I just feel so beaten up. Maybe God's, he's trying to remind you back to the original. I made you. You're my masterpiece. You're my son. You're my daughter. You are mine. What is God trying to remind you of as it relates to your identity? And as you listen to the word of the Lord, is there a situation in your life that needs redemption? Is there a broken relationship? That's tough, isn't it? But it goes back to your identity and the identity of the person that you have that broken relationship with. Ask the Lord, Lord, and you may have asked the Lord this every day, but he wants you to ask him again, Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me do in this relationship to walk towards redemption? I know that's your will. I know that you've said, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with people. But Lord, I need your help to show me And then that third question, where's God calling you to step out and risk it all for him? Where is he calling you to risk? This requires listening. And sometimes to listen, you've got to go back to identity. Who you called me in Christ. Lord, created me a clean heart. A prayer I pray every day is, Lord, reveal to me, it's the prayer of David, reveal to me any unknown sin. Is there something I'm missing? Show me, God. Let's respond to the word of the Lord. We have many ways to pray. We have, you, can, you can stay where you are and pray. You can turn to the person and pray. We have prayer walls. Maybe you want to go and write it out, and that helps you. We have teams of people that would love to pray for you, just to talk to you and bring it to the Lord. And we also have these communion stations set up where you can come and be reminded of how Jesus gave it all for us. Amen? Amen. Let's take some time and let's respond to the word of the Lord this morning.